All right, well, I'm Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is week number one, two, three of Advent. And we are glad to be talking about the topic of joy this morning. I told somebody earlier, I wish that I had one of those like red lights and like flashing things that says topical sermon alert, because this morning is going to be a little bit different. This morning is going to be a broad look at a big topic that runs all throughout scripture. So like put your like seatbelt on whenever it comes to Bible, because we're going to be in Isaiah, we're going to be in the book of Luke, and then we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. So I'm going to spend a lot of time reading texts, and you're going to see why in just a minute. But I want to be reading almost as much as I'm talking this morning, because I want to give you a broad sense of a certain topic in the scriptures. And so it's going to be a little bit different than what we normally do, which would be we take one chunk of scripture, we explain it in detail, and we see how that applies to our lives. So today, we're going to take a broader look at a certain topic. And you would be forgiven if you thought that the broad look at the topic was going to be on the topic of joy, but we're actually not going to look at the topic of joy either. So, weird, right? (laughs) But just go with me, and I'm going to show you what we're actually trying to, to get into. So today I want to take this broad look, not at joy, because joy is a byproduct like we're going to see, but I want to take a broad look at what Matt and the kids and Tara, I think you read a part, the McKinstry family talked about this morning. I want to take a broad look at the pattern that God has of causing light to break into really dark spaces this morning. So that's the main point. That's the circled, underlined, written down at the top of the page thing. Christmas is about the light powerfully and joyfully breaking into darkness. So this is the pattern that we're going to observe this morning. And we're going to observe joy coming up to the surface as we see a theme in scripture of light powerfully and joyfully breaking into darkness. Y'all with me so far? So here's some things that I don't want to do today. Sometimes it's good to talk about what you're not talking about, right? So I don't want to bring up the topic of joy and to allow us to go into a really practical mentality. I don't want us to hear the word joy and think, I know the Bible says in Philippians 4 to rejoice always. And I do want to be more joyful than I currently am right now. I'm not the smiley emoji. I'm like the, whatever you call that straight line, emoji. (laughs) I don't know what that even is, but I end up using it. Like I'm finding myself in that place. And I know that the Lord wants me to be in this place. So how do I use God to get from this emoji to this emoji? That's what I don't want to talk about this morning. I do not want to talk about using God, using the Bible, like the pole that the pole vaulter uses to get over a thing. That's not how God wants us to relate to him. Tim Keller says it, better than I say it, he says, Tim Keller quote, religious people find God useful, but Christians find God beautiful. So this morning, I want to talk about the theme of light breaking into darkness. I want us to look at it. I want us to slow down, savor it, and then if joy is rising to the surface of your heart by looking at how God, how beautiful God is, I want us to skim that off and say, that's joy. Y'all with me? So that's what we're doing this morning. Religious people find God useful, 
But this morning, I want you to see that God is beautiful. And I want you to see how that is like the thumping, beating heart of the Christian life. Finding God beautiful and using that as like the pistons firing you forth in obedience and perseverance. So, that's the big picture. So today, let's look at the scriptures, a few of them, and just say in our hearts together, thank you, God, for how you break through the darkness. And give us a reason to be joyful whenever I look at that. So, let's start with that first text that the McKinstries read. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So that's the pattern. That's what we're looking for whenever we go through these next two texts. So I want you to think about this as we read two other texts. And the two things that we're looking at this morning, the two instances in which we'll see this pattern, are going to be in the angel's visit to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, the one we just sang about earlier, Shepherds, Why This Jubilee, that whole little scene in Charlie Brown that you're going to watch in like 10 days. That's what we're talking about. And then we're going to talk about, in Ephesians chapter 2, the beautiful work that God does when he saves somebody. And we're just going to look at how beautiful that is and look at how light just breaks into darkness without the action of the person in darkness and just causes life to happen. We're just going to see how beautiful that is. So one, let's talk about the shepherds. And let's pick up our reading in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Y'all with me? Okay, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Gloria, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels then went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. This is an underlining thing. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Beautiful, traditional story. And a beautiful pattern from the scriptures of God causing light to break into a dark situation 
powerfully and apart from anybody in the situation. So just a few bullet points as we go through this. This is going to be like the Hyperloop or something. We're really going to do this quick. So one, go back up to verse eight, Will. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So I don't want to stretch the text, but I want to make an observation that the default setting of the shepherds was walking in darkness. I'm not making a spiritual assessment about individual shepherds who we don't even know the name of, and the text tells us nothing else biographical about them. But I will use that as a jumping off point today to say that the default setting of Israel had been not only walking in darkness, but I think they had just got kind of tired and they just kind of sat down. They were just there. They had been walking and walking and their dogs were barking and now they are just sitting in this darkness. The darkness of their rebellious hearts against God. The darkness of continual cyclical disobedience. I don't know about you, but I've been there. Cyclical disobedience. Confession of sin. Assurance of pardon. Walking in obedience for like eight seconds. And then falling back into sin again and finding your heart maybe even more rebellious than the last time you repented. So Israel found themselves sitting in this situation, and they also found themselves sitting in the darkness of God's silence for a number of centuries. If God is not speaking and God is not present, light is not present. So I just want to make that quick observation. So then we see that a light dawned on them, unbeknownst to them. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were as Pastor Josh has probably memorized in the KJV, sore afraid. They're freaked out because this thing happened to them and nobody texted them to say that they were on their way. They had no way to plan for the appearance of the angels at all, but all of a sudden, boom, glory, shining round about them, completely unbeknownst to them. So quick observation, God breaks into the darkness that the shepherds are walking in and they had nothing to do with it. There was no RSVP to this light breaking in. This was happening to them, and they were passive, maybe not even, well, yes, recipients. They were recipients of this in a passive way. But then after that, look, God replaces their fear with joy. So they were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, they always start with this, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, that will be for all the people. Their heart's first reaction to the glory of the Lord was not a warm embrace. Sometimes even the music that I listen to can, can make me think, I just want to run into his arms. But the glory of the Lord, when it shows up, it fills people with fear. It fills people with fear for many reasons, but it, it really does fill people with fear. It filled these shepherds with fear. It fills humans with fear because we live in a broken world in which our relationship with God is really, really damaged. And all the brokenness built up in our heart causes us to be afraid of the thing that we are meant to be at one with. So the glory of the Lord shows up. The power of it, the magnitude of it happens and they are naturally fear filled with fear. But then the angels gently respond to them, fear not. 
And when the Lord does come to us, and when the Lord does change our hearts, when the Lord does make us alive with him, he replaces our fear with joy. Also, God made his message known to the shepherds. They understood the message that the angels brought because God wanted them to understand it. So look down to verse, let's see. For unto you, verse 11, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Okay, let's go down. Verse 17. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. So the text says that the message of the Lord was made known to the shepherds. It doesn't say... The shepherds realized that the quiz was on this date and was due by 11.55 p.m. and they studied up a whole lot and they understood the message and they passed the test. The text says that the message of God was made known to them in a way that was undeniable and a way that was apart from their own effort. And so it goes with us whenever the Lord transforms our hearts. The Lord makes it known to us in a way that's unmistakable. That doesn't mean that we automatically all become like light bulb theologians because there's just libraries and libraries of things to learn about the Lord and his word. But it does mean that the message of the gospel and the essentials of it are made known to us in a way that's unmistakable. The essentials of it. And then God gloriously fills out the branches of it as we grow in faith. So let's look down at the very end of this passage, and this is one of the last observations I want to make. I told you we're going fast. God put this message in their heart, and then they could not help but share the wonder that it caused with other people. Verse 17, the shepherds went and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. So they heard this message, and they could have just been like, read thumbs up. But they immediately said, we have to go find what the angel of the Lord has told us about. And they go and they find Mary and Joseph. They find Jesus. And they say, verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And the response of them making that known to them is that all who heard it, verse 18, wondered at what the shepherds had told them. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So they couldn't help but share this saying with the others. They couldn't help but say, this has transformed my heart, and this relates to you. So you need to be brought into the loop on this. You need to know what the Lord says about something that directly relates to your life. And the response of wonder goes from them and transfers over to Mary and Joseph. They share the wonder because this, the message has been shared. And then finally, verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So here are the shepherds doing nothing in order to plan this experience. The shepherds passively receive a message, good news of great joy from the angels. They share it with others out of the overflow of their heart. 
And they find themselves at the end of this passage glorifying and praising God for everything that they had heard and seen. They're not glorifying and praising God for everything that they had done to serve the community. They're not glorifying and praising God for how many people that they can list off that they have helped find and follow Jesus. Although that's evidence of grace. But in this moment, there is a simple joy overflowing from the shepherds because they have heard and seen good news. It's beautiful. It's simple. So light breaks through the darkness and comes to the shepherds. They receive it and overflow with joy. It's a beautiful thing. But there's an even more beautiful picture that reaches even farther, and that's the picture of God saving his people. God breaks through the darkness every time he saves somebody and they respond in faith to his powerful work. So that's where we're going right now. This is the heart. This is where we like put it in park and hang out and have lunch. Like this is the majority of the sermon. When God saves his children, he is breaking through the darkness and preaching a message to somebody who did nothing to deserve it. So let's start in Ephesians chapter 2 and read verses 1 through 10 and we'll make three observations about what happens to every single one of us when we believe and how it can fill us with joy. So starting in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2 says, and you were dead. Hold on. As we're reading this, just simply listen to it. Life can be chaotic. Life can be noisy. Your phone in your pocket could be buzzing right now. There could be so many things that could make you think about like three things at once right now. But by God's grace, as we read these 10 verses, would you just allow this to wash over you and remind you who you are in Christ at the most basic level? Verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And us, dead in our sins, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's the good thing. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. Here's the mountaintop. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we should walk in them. Amen, right? Amen. So let's find three things from this to help us understand and make meaning and retain all of the riches of this passage. 
I really just want to build a trellis for this beautiful thing to live on. So how does light break into darkness in us? Three subpoints. Three. There we go. One, God, God's light breaks in beautifully. It breaks in powerfully. And then it breaks in transformationally. So the first one is really just the simple beauty of this text. God's light breaks in to somebody's heart and mind in a beautiful way that is just, it's worthy of praise, worthy of worship, worthy of memorization, worthy of committal to memory so that in the moments when you need encouragement, in the moments when you need to make war against sin, in the moments when lies spring up about who you are in Christ and how the next step is going to turn out, when, when the enemy is telling you, obedience doesn't matter. God's not going to hold you up. You really won't be able to make it to that next step. The beauty of these passages can show up and remind you of foundationally who you are in the Lord. So let's just read it again, verses 1 through 7, and just see the beauty. This is you, if you believe. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Level playing field, right? It's easy in the church to say, well, this person grew up in church. Well, this person doesn't smoke, drink, or chew, or run around with girls that do. They do the right thing. These people understand how to live the church life. These people don't do bad stuff. Therefore, the step between death and life must be a little more manageable for them. They don't have these big, socially unacceptable hindrances in their way. That's what the world says. That's what the narrative that we often can see with our eyes will tell us to believe. But when we come back to the beauty of this, we see that the playing field is terrifyingly level. We are all walking in the passions and the desires that just spring up from our flesh. And apart from God breaking into that darkness, apart from God reaching into your chest and just pulling out the heart of stone, we're just going to give in to that impulse. Over and over and over. And by God's grace, there might be some guilt, but apart from God's powerful heart surgery, you'll just do it again. Because that's where we are. But here's the hinge. Here's the beauty. Notice there was no action of man in those preceding verses, except for rebellion. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Together with Christ. Get that? The association between the resurrection of a person who has been tortured and beyond dead. He is dead, dead. All the life brutally taken from his body over a number of hours. 
God miraculously raised that person with that body. And the same thing is happening when he makes you alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him and seated, with, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Because he was kind toward us in Christ Jesus. Beautiful, undeserved favor from the Lord. And that's where we all sit. No matter how cold our hearts have been toward the Lord. No matter how little we can even muster up the care to even read our Bibles in the morning or to pray with our husband or wife, or no matter how hard it has been to raise our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and how long of a road it has been, and maybe how, how dull everything has gotten, and, and we've let it get. No matter how small and faint-hearted we can grow in our flesh, this is 200% true of us because God wanted it to be. And we can't do anything to mess that up in the Lord. Not a thing. It's beautiful. Because it's a reality that exists outside of us. So it's beautiful. It's also a powerful reality. Look at verses 8 and 9. I'm kind of belaboring this on purpose. This is God's power doing this action. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And here's Paul belaboring it. And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God. So that's the phrase right there. This is not your doing. But what about that prayer that I prayed? What about all that obedience that I've shown? I could fill up pages and pages and pages of things that I've done for the Lord because he's asked me to. And that's a beautiful aroma toward him. But that doesn't fit on this page. That doesn't go on this list. But what about verses like Romans 10, 13? Isn't that like foundational to the gospel? Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Christ has been raised from the dead, and you'll be saved. That is a real thing. That is part of how we become a Christian. But what I want you to see is that God made our hearts alive and filled it with faith before it ever overflowed with an internal feeling of faith and an external confession that we would observe as salvation. I want you to see that before this stuff that we can see in the church and in our homes, before any of that happens, God has to do the work of, theologians would call it, regeneration. He has to take your heart from being dead, and he has to miraculously make it alive before anything Christian happens in your brain or comes out of your mouth. And that's the beautiful thing right here. So look back at verse 5 again. Even when we are dead in our trespasses, God made us alive. That's what I'm talking about. God made us alive together with Christ. And the beautiful thing, like the behind the scenes of salvation, is that we know when somebody confesses Christ and somebody decides to turn around and somebody's Rebellion and disobedience all of a sudden looks like beautiful, submissive obedience, sitting at the feet of the Lord saying, what do you have for me today? Walking in faith, even whenever things look unlikely, when we can see all of that fruit, we know that in ages past, God decided he was going to start the engine of that. 
and it would overflow in joyful obedience. So it's beautiful. It's transformational. Oh, we're not going to the third point yet. It's so beautiful that we've been made alive that I wanted to share with you the words of a guy named John Murray that just shows us how little we had to do with this. He says, For entrance into the kingdom of God, we are wholly dependent on the action of the Holy Spirit, an action which is compared to that on the part of our parents, by which we were born into the world. We are as dependent upon the Holy Spirit as we are upon the action of our parents in connection with our natural birth. We were not begotten by our father because we decided to be. And we were not born of our mother because we decided to be. We were simply begotten and were born. If this privilege is ours, it is because the Holy Spirit willed it. He begets or bears when and where he pleases. And if the evidence of grace is overflowing in your heart or in your wife's heart or in your child's heart, just rejoice in the fact that he was pleased and he chose to beget and bear in your household and in your heart and in your mind. It's a beautiful thing. So then transformationally, God does this work. So I want to show you the bookends of verses 1 and 10, and I want to see like a before and after pick of a person when God does the work. And there's no cheating here. Nobody's sucking in their guts or anything. Like this is actually God's real work in somebody's heart. And I want you to look at the idea of walking and see how the walk is changed from verse 1 to verse 10. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And the direction of this walk was following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. So this is the walk of everybody that has ever been born. The default trajectory is walking in the course of Satan. And then verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we should walk in them. So we go from verse 1, being a person who walks in the way of Satan, following every sinful impulse that just comes into our mind. And when we deny those impulses, we're following the impulse to just be selfish and try to do it on our own. We go to verse 10, and we see that we are walking in good works because Christ prepared them beforehand for us. So we see that there is a transformational work in the heart that goes all the way out toward the hands and the feet. So we see God causing light to break through the darkness with the shepherds. And then in our own hearts, if we truly believe and we can see the evidence of grace in our lives, we know that God's light has broken through the darkness in our own hearts. And we see that through Ephesians chapter 2. So at the very end, as we wrap everything up today, I just want to talk under this heading that I'm just calling No More Shadows. Because I know that as we go into, even deeper into the Christmas season, you know, we're talking about joy. The candle that we lit today 
is a brighter, happier hue than the other candles of waiting and hope and confidence in God's love. This candle here is representing something that should be overflowing from our hearts because of something that God has done. And I do want you to see that joy does not just come from using God to get happier. Joy comes from Psalm chapter 37 and verse 4, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So that's what I wanted to kind of like do a practice session of today. As we look at the shepherds, as we look at our own story, we're doing this. We're not delighting ourselves in something that we enjoy and that we did. We're looking at what the Lord has done. We're rejoicing in the work of the Lord. And we're seeing joy rise to the surface as a byproduct. We're delighting ourselves in God. So when we are discouraged and we are looking for joy, we can delight ourselves in God's work and live from the joy of that. The psalmist also says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. He goes to that for encouragement. But I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge that it is 2020, right? <laughs> the topic of joy is not exactly a thing that we're like, yep, check, got it. I would be remiss if we didn't talk about how tough it is to actually have joy. And what I'm not asking you to do is to just put a smile on after this, even though we can't see it through the mask. <laughs> I'm not asking you to fake it because this world is deeply broken. This world is full of reasons to really be angry. This world is full of reasons to cry your eyes out. And we shouldn't ask for people to stop doing that because this world is full of sinful intrusion and brokenness that will cause struggle after struggle after struggle, not just in 2020, but for years to come. And as covenant members here, and as people that preach the truth of the word of God to you, we have to, to show you and, and walk the walk in front of you that walking in the strength of God's joy can be done even with legit suffering. So I want to close by just reading a poem from a pastor named Glenn Scrivener. So this pastor had kind of an interesting geographic trajectory. Uh, he grew up in Australia with, he was like the son of a pastor, and he was in Melbourne. He was close to the coast, like everybody is in Australia, or else you die. <laughs> and he can remember growing up and having Christmas and like going outside and like playing football and like having Christmas and putting on your swimming trunks and, and going to the beach after you open your presents because, geography alert, Australia is in the Southern Hemisphere and Christmas time is summertime for them, which is super weird. But when he was like, I think eight years old, he moves from Melbourne to um, Southern England and he witnesses a transition in climate. <laughs> Christmas for there is much more familiar. Christmas there is like Charles Dickens and, you know, whatever. Nick Moore will correct me <laughs> for that. But, you know, he, he moves to a climate that's a bit more recognizable in terms of Christmas. Cold, long, dark nights, things like that. And he finds himself meditating on the themes of light and darkness whenever he thinks about Christmas because he has these two minds about Christmas. He has beach Christmas and he has like huddled up with hot chocolate Christmas. And as, as the Lord matures him, 
he uses this to say something that I thought was really beautiful about how to be joyful through suffering at Christmas time. So we're going to close with this. He says, Our summer is gone, if you've been around. You felt the fall. Life's run aground. We've gone up in the world, but we've seen summer die. So what's our hope? The dark defy? Do we stoke the hearth and retreat indoors? Do we rug up warm with you and yours? But the shadow reaches even here. But this, God's word, is the place for Christmas cheer. It's dark in the Bible when Christmas is spoken. There's always a bolt from the blue for the broken. It's the valley of shadow, the land of the dead. It's no place in the inn, so he stoops to the shed. He's born to the shameful and bends to the weak. He becomes the lowly, the God who can't speak. And yet, what a word, the Savior who comes. Our dismal, abysmal depths he plums. Through crib and then cross to compass our life, he became what we are, our brother in strife. To carry and conquer our failures he shouldered, to bring us to his life forever enfolded. He took on our frailty, and he took on all comers to turn all our winters to glorious summers. It's Christmas now, whatever the weather. Some soaked in the sun, but some huddled together. But fair days or foul, our plight he embraces. Real Christmas can shine in the darkest of places. What I want to leave you today with is be completely honest about where the Lord has you right now, today, and let his strength shine through exactly where he's determined that you should be, however painful, however hard to understand, however full of grief. We have to trust that God determines the time and the place of our dwelling, that he knows exactly where we are at this moment, and that he works all things together to bring himself the most glory possible through us. That that's our purpose, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We have to trust that right where we sit is a thread being woven for his glory. They dwelled in darkness, awaiting his first advent. David Mathis from Desiring God says, Jesus did not come to a world already lit up with comfort and joy. We sure like to sing about that, though. He came to bring peace to a world at war. He came to bring true comfort to a stressed-out world. He came to announce good news of great joy to those drowning in a sea of sorrows. He came as light shining in the darkness. So for some of us, Advent this year is going to be deeper, darker, harder than we've ever done it before. But allow that to say, is this stuff for real or are we just faking this? Is my trust in the Lord for real? Do I really think he's faithful in working this together? Or is this just another routine? I, I'm actually closing with this. I told you I was closing with the last thing. David Mathis continued to say that Advent does not pretend that the darkness is gone. Our lives may yet grow darker, but Advent looks darkness square in the eye 
and issues this great promise for our season of waiting. Darkness will not overcome the light. And it's only a matter of time until Christmas. Would you pray with me? Lord, we know that these things are true from the bottom of our heart. We know that the only way joy will come is if we delight ourselves in the good works that you do. Lord, we ask that you would lift our head whenever it's tough to see what's going on around us. And we ask that miraculously you would bring us joy. If we've walked with you for a long time, but we found our hearts to be cold, would you give us the grace not to bury that? Would you give us the courage to pray the prayer of Psalm 51.10? Right now, even in the midst of the shame that could come by confessing to our brothers and sisters that our heart has been cold for a long time. Would you help us to pray like David prayed, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold in me a willing spirit. If we feel that our, wi- that our wills are weak, would you give us the strength to confess that and ask God for help and to ask our brothers and sisters for help and to be comfortable in our weakness in front of our brothers knowing that they're covenanting to walk with us through these times. Would you help us to worship in our brokenness? And we're confident that you're going to meet us right there. In your name, amen.